Well, welcome to Living Hope Church. We're so glad you're here with us today. If you have children that are kindergarten to third grade and they're going down for children's church, they can dismiss out the back um, now with Miss Sarah. If you have children that are older than that that are, that are staying with us, there are activities on that back table. They're free to grab. Uh, there's also sermon notes designed for them that they can grab. Uh, they fill it out afterwards. I'll have a um, piece of candy for them. Uh, but again, we're so glad that you've joined us this morning. Today we are uh, continuing in our series that we have simply called uh, The Exodus. Uh, last week we visited the tenth and final plague that the Egyptians would face. The tenth plague was the plague of the Passover. And in that plague, all people, both Egyptians and the Israelites, faced judgment for their sin. And that judgment, that consequence of sin, was the same that it is today. The consequence or the wage of sin is death. But in that plague, as God always does, he graciously made a way for a substitute to die in the place of the people. If the people, Egyptian or Hebrew, would have followed his instructions in faith and sacrificed the lamb and placed its blood on the doorpost, as God instructed, they would be spared. And in that, we looked at how and we saw how God has sent Jesus as the lamb of God and how God in his grace and love for us has made a way for us to be forgiven and to inherit eternal life through Jesus' sacrifice. That's what we just saw celebrated through baptism. Uh, so if you missed that message, you can go back. You can check it out on YouTube or on our website or Apple Podcasts. Uh, it's there. Uh, but today, as we enter today's message, the nation, the people uh, of Egypt are grieving the death of firstborns all over. Pharaoh has finally had enough, and so he tells Moses to get yourself, get your people, and get your God out of my land. And so off Moses and the Israelite people go. And nobody knows exactly how many people were included in this group, but the estimates I read this week uh, vary between 600,000 Israelites that left and 5 million Israelites that left. Right? That's all of Wyoming on the low end that Exodus leaves uh, Egypt and heads towards a promised land. Needless to say, this is not a small number of people, but a large mass of people that have left Egypt and are headed for the promised land. So we're going to pick up the narrative in Exodus chapter 13, verse 17. And after all that we have seen the people go through, you would hope that their journey to the promised land would be easy. But we're going to see it's going to be far from that. But we're also going to see that God is with them. We're going to see him make a way. We're going to see him provide every step for the people if they will have faith and trust in him. And that's a saying that is true of our faith journey as well. We so often assume or hope or are told that the Christian faith is easy, that it's trial-free and that it's full of comfort and riches. But that is far from the truth. The Christian faith, the Christian journey is full of challenges, difficulties, and steps of faith. But we too are promised that God will be with us and he will make a way if we stay close to him and follow him in faith. So we're in Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 17. It reads, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them on the road through the Philistine country, though that was shorter. For God said if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by the desert road toward the Red Sea, and the Israelites went up out of Egypt ready for battle. Before we jump in, let me pray, uh, and then we'll jump in here. God, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you that you are a God that saves uh, we think you are a God that has sent Jesus to, to save us from our greatest need, our greatest challenge, our greatest desperation. And so, God, I pray that you would just reveal to us today where it is uh, that we need your deliverance, where it is we are walking in faith and we need to trust you with the outcome. 
Where it is maybe we're not walking in faith and we need to turn our circumstances and our situation over to you. And God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that you would reveal that need to them and they might choose to follow you in faith today and experience your ultimate deliverance in Jesus. God, we love you and we praise you and it's your name we pray, amen. So they leave out of Egypt and God doesn't take them the quickest ways, but he takes them the wisest way because he knows the people aren't yet ready for war. And in our lives, if we are walking with God, if we are following God's guidance and leadership, there will be many times that he doesn't take us the quickest or the straightest way in our estimation. But we can trust that God will always take us on the wisest or the best ways. I love Proverbs 19.21, which reads, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. I know if I think back on my life, especially in those early years after college, I had a lot of great plans that God had to close the door on and redirect me. In my earlier to mid-20s, I had never heard of Green River, and I couldn't have found it on a map if my life depended on it. Right? But God did, and he was leading us on a winding but good journey here. When we are following God, he will not always follow our plans. He won't always just brush hog over our obstacles. But we can trust that his ways are better, they are wiser, and that his purposes will prevail. And so if you find yourself not where you thought you would be in life or God changing your plans, don't worry and don't despair. God's ways are not our ways, but they are better. And we're going to see that with the Israelites. We're in verse 19. It reads that Moses took the bones of Joseph with him because Joseph had made the Israelites swear an oath. He had said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up with you from this place. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give light, so they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of the people. Isn't that incredible? God's not only leading them through the direction and leadership of Moses, but he is tangibly present with them. He is leading them step by step in a pillar of cloud in the day and a pillar of fire by night. I can't imagine the comfort that that would have provided to just look up and see that they are following God's ways and he is with them and leading them. The people have seen God do the miraculous in the plagues. He's just freed them from Egyptian captivity. You would think their faith would be emboldened like never before. But we're going to quickly see that even with the tangible presence of God, their faith is going to be quite shaky. In the same way, the Bible promises that if we are a follower of Jesus, that we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us, with us, leading us day by day, moment by moment, just like them. But we, just like the Israelites, grumble and we complain when things get difficult. We grumble and complain when things don't go the way we think they should go. But God's leading is not always easy, but as we're going to see, his ways are always right, and he will make a way if he is leading so when God calls you to do something or to live by his rules or by faith or his guidance and it's difficult, you can trust that he will provide and he will guide if he leads. All right, we're in 14 verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn back and encamp near Piharif. I'm going to start making up names. Between Migdal and the sea. They are to encamp by the sea directly opposite to Baal Zephon. Pharaoh will think, the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, but I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites did this. 
When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, What have we done? We have let the Israelites go and lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots along with all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they encamped by the sea near Piharath, opposite of Baal Zephon. So remember the plagues. If you've been here in any part of our series in the plagues, we had talked about how the plagues are in response to Pharaoh's question. And his question was, when Moses said, let my people go, Pharaoh said, who is the Lord that I should obey him? And God in his grace and his mercy has revealed his power, his might, his grace, and his mercy to Pharaoh and the Egyptian people. He has left no doubt who the God of the universe is. And here he's going to once again display his power and might before the Israelites and also before his people. He says it right there. I will gain glory for myself through Pharaoh and all of his army, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. In the same way, God often uses our trials and our difficulties and our weaknesses to reveal himself and our need for him. God is real, and in his mercy, he is calling us all to faith in him. Verse 10, so the army's approaching. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, I love this, Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Man, that is quite dramatic, isn't it? They continue, what have you done to us bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Again, this is incredible. God has just shown his might in the plagues. He has freed them from Egypt. He is with them tangibly step by step. They can see his presence. And then things get hard, and what do they do? The people don't see a way forward, and they begin to grumble, and they long to return to the known, to the captivity that they had. What a picture of us. When we look at our lives, we see God's presence. We see his provision as we look at our lives. We see his strength and his might. But as soon as things get hard, we grumble, we complain, and we are tempted, or we long to return to our old life where we felt in control, where things were known. And we lose faith that God will provide a way forward as he has promised. And so that's our first point today. Is that, is that we need to trust in God's ways even when we or even when you don't see a way forward. If you are following God, if you are living in faith as the Israelites were here. I mean they were literally following God through the desert. If you are following God then you can trust that he will make a way and he won't lead you to destruction. When God leads, he makes a way. I love Psalm 34. David writes in Psalm 34, 17 through 20. He says, the righteous cries out, cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. David says, if you are righteous, if you are right, if you are walking with God, then the promise is that God hears your prayers. He is near and he makes a way. Note it says the righteous still are going to have many troubles. Life isn't going to be easy, but the promise is God is near and he delivers. 
And so if you are walking with God and difficulties come, don't run back to the captivity of sin. Don't run back to your old comforts. Don't run back to the known and try to control, but walk forward trusting that if God leads, he will make a way. There doesn't seem to be a way forward for the Israelites. They are at the edge of the sea with no boat, with no bridge, and over half a million of their closest friends. And not only are at the edge of the sea, but the greatest army in the known world is pursuing them on chariot, and they're not happy. They want their labor force back. They are coming to capture them. They are trapped by their circumstances with nowhere to turn. Have you ever felt that way? You thought you were following God. You felt like God had led you somewhere. But now you just don't see how whatever you are facing could possibly end up in anything other than disaster. Maybe you're there today or maybe you've been there in the past staring at something so daunting and thinking, how could God possibly work this out? Verse 13, Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You just need to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. When there is nowhere to turn, when there is seemingly not a way forward, when there doesn't seem to be any hope, God can still make a way. Listen to this wisdom, this instruction in verse 13. God says to Moses, do not be afraid. Stand firm and trust God to lead the way forward. Because even when you can't see the way forward, trust that God sees and he leads the way. And so if that's you today, if you feel like the Israelites trapped with nowhere to turn and seemingly no way forward, then heed the wisdom of verse 13. Take some time today or in this moment or this week and turn your fears over to God through prayer. Ask him for your strength to stand firm in your faith, to stand firm against the lies of comfort and the lies of sin, calling you to trust in your own power, your own control, your own strength. And instead, trust God to lead the way forward. Commit to God's ways. Commit to God's timing. Commit to following him. Now, again, this is all dependent on a relationship with God. But if you are in a relationship with him through Jesus, if you are following him in faith, then do not be afraid. Stand firm. Prepare to follow him as he leads the way forward. Verse 17. God continues, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptian, once again we hear this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of God, who had been traveling in front of the Israel, Israel's army, withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them, coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. And throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and all that night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry land, with a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left. So Moses follows God's instructions, and when he does, God makes a way. And God performs one of the great miracles of the Old Testament. He parts the Red Sea, and when he parts the sea, the whole nation, all 500,000 to 6 million, cross, and they cross on dry, dry ground. 
And in this, I want us to see something here that is so, so important. That's our next point. And that is that when God makes a way, it will still require faith. Notice that the Marines don't show up with an inflatable pontoon bridge to roll across. Right? Instead, God brings up an east wind and the sea parts, and the people cross the sea with a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left. I don't know about you, but I have never seen a sea, a river, a lake, a pond, a bathtub part in that manner. Right? This was unprecedented, and it would have been incredibly uncomfortable to walk between two giant walls of water. It would have taken incredible faith to trust that God was going to hold those walls of water while they walked through the sea. This was completely out of the norm, completely out of their control, and God could have let those waters go at any time. But the people crossed in faith, trusting God to hold the water, trusting that he would provide, that he would stave off the Egyptians just as he has promised. And in the same way, when you are walking with God, when you are following God and you don't see a way forward, you can trust that God will provide, you can trust that he will make a way, but you can also know that the way will still require faith on your part. And the way is likely going to stretch you beyond your control and beyond your comfort. God's way forward is rarely easy, and it will always stretch our faith. Sometimes the way God opens up for you involves making hard decisions or or taking great risk in order to do what is right. Sometimes it requires confession of sin, and not only confession to God, but to the person you have sinned against. Sometimes it means letting go of some things that you hold dear to in life. God never promises you an easy way, but he does promise to make a way if you will follow him in faith. And most important of all, when you do follow God, God promises to go with you. He never walked the the path of faith alone. When you go with God, God promises to walk with you every step of the way. I love Isaiah 43, 2-3. It says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. For I am the Lord your God, your Savior, that is your deliverer. The way God opens up for you will still require faith. It might be challenging, but take heart. When you pass through the waters, God will be with you all the way. Verse 23. The Egyptians pursued them, and all of Pharaoh's horses and chariots and horsemen followed them into the sea. During the last watch of the night, the Lord looked down from the pillar of fire and cloud at the Egyptian army and threw it into confusion. He jammed the wheels of their chariots so they had difficulty driving. And the Egyptians said, let's get away from the Israelites. The Lord is fighting for them and against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the seas so that the waters may flow back over the Egyptians and their chariots and horsemen. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea went back to its place. The Egyptians were fleeing toward it, and the Lord swept them into the sea. The water flowed back and covered the chariots and horsemen. The entire army of Pharaoh that had followed the Israelites into the sea, not one of them survived. So throughout this passage, throughout this message, I've tried to make clear that those promises we have seen are promises that for those that are in relationship with God, those that are walking with him in faith. The Israelites were quite clearly walking with with and following God. They were following his tangible presence as he led them across the sea. The Egyptians, on the other hand, were were not. And they were presumed that just because the sea was still open, then they were safe to cross as well. That wasn't the case. Every opportunity, every open door in life is not necessarily of God. So it's important that we can know and distinguish the difference between God's leading in faith 
in walking in presumption. And that's our next point. We want to be a people that walk in relationship with God, not presumption. The Israelites and the Egyptians both entered the same passage between the same walls of water. The Israelites made it safely across, but the Egyptians drowned in their attempt. What is the difference here? The Egyptians followed God and they walked by faith. Excuse me. The Israelites followed God and walked by faith. The Egyptians didn't. They acted in presumption. They saw the path and they assumed it was good for them as well. The Israelites were God's covenant people. They were responding in faith to God's word. They were following God's leading, his literal presence. God told them, go through the waters. The Egyptians, on the other hand, had no interest in God. We've seen that. They had no relationship with God. They had no word from God saying to go that way. They acted in presumption, and the great walls of water came crashing down on them. So if you are following God, if you are following his instruction, if you are doing the things he leads you to do and his word tells you to do, then you can trust that he will make a way forward in faith, just as he did for the Israelites. But on the other hand, if you are not a follower of Jesus, or maybe you're a follower of Jesus, but you are not following his direction and his commands in the day-to-day, then you are very likely walking in presumption. Not every open door, not every seemingly easy path is God's path and comes with his protection and his guidance. If you are living and walking in sin, if you are far from God, he is just and there are consequences for our sin. So we can't be surprised. We can't get mad at God when we face the consequences of our sinful decisions. Let me give you just some real simple and very broad and general examples. An easy example of this that I've seen uh, all too many times uh, in ministries in the area of relationships. The Bible is quite clear on the order in which relationships should unfold. The Bible says you should be married before you live or sleep together. That's common knowledge. But unfortunately, that path is not the easiest path. And all too often, easy trumps God's plans and direction and leading for our life. And so when you decide to go your own way and you move in together with a significant other, you buy a house together before the commitment of marriage, you merge lives without the commitment, you can't be mad at God and blame God when that unravels and comes unwound. Now, God can certainly redeem that relationship if you and your spouse choose to follow him in his ways. But if you're not following God, you are acting in presumption as opposed to faith. Or think about your children. If you are not following God and his instruction in your home, then you can't expect your children to either. If you're not making God a priority in your family, you cannot be surprised or frustrated with God when your children grow up. And they too make him a non-priority in their lives. God's given us clear instruction on parenting. He's given us clear instruction on the reading of his word. He's given us clear instruction on the value of his church. And he's given us clear instruction on the family. If you are not following God's leadership in your home, then you are raising your family in presumption, in your own power and not faith. Last example, if you're not following God in the area of finances and you're corruptly embezzling and stealing money, right? that path may seem easy in the moment. But you can't be upset when God allows the consequences to happen. It is not God's fault for not protecting you from the consequences of your sin. The police show up at your door. Just because you presumed it to be easy, just because the opportunity was there and it was, the money was free-flowing in the moment, you can't be upset when the consequences come. Another financial one would be borrowing. The Bible gives us clear instruction on how we spend our money. and It says don't take out large amounts of debt. 
Well, if you take out massive amounts of loans just because you could, and you get to the point you can't pay your debts back, you can't get mad and blame God when those people that made the loans come calling. And when the natural consequences and ramifications of sin and presumption happen, it is tragic. It was tragic for the Egyptians. But don't let us be a people that blame God when that happens. Instead, let us be a humble people that instead repent and turn to God in his ways in the face of consequences. God in his grace gives us opportunities to repent. God in his grace allows us to face the consequences of our sin and bad decisions. And God in his grace always waits, ready to forgive if we will return to him. The Egyptians, we've seen it for, for weeks now. They were told to let the people go. They were given ten different plagues that showcased God's authority and power. And yet they still chose to go their own way, presuming their ways to be better. And the results were tragic. So how do we know if we are responding in faith or acting in presumption? I mean, the first question is, do you know God? Have you experienced the greatest deliverance, which we're going to talk about in a moment? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you experienced deliverance from your sin? That is the very first step of faith in the Christian life. Trusting Jesus as God's Son who died on the cross to save you from your sins. And then secondly, if you've done that, are you seeking God in your life? To walk in faith, to know God's will and His ways in your life, you have to be walking with Him daily. Right? You do this by reading His Word, by, by knowing His truths. By praying and asking for his wisdom and guidance and by seeking and following the Holy Spirit. When you are doing those things, when you know his truth, when the truth of the Bible is the foundation for your life, then you will know the difference between his leading, between presumption, and maybe just a bad burrito at lunch. When you are responding in faith, God will lead and you will know when he is leading. And you will know that he will, you can trust that he will make a way forward. But if you are not trusting Jesus, if you are not seeking God first in your life, if you are not living in faith and you find yourself outside of, then you will find yourself outside of God's protection. But again, the great news, the great hope is that God and his power can redeem and he can use any and all situations we find ourselves in for his glory and our good if we will repent and turn it over to him. So if you want to walk in faith, if you want to walk in God's ways, if you want to experience God's presence and direction as opposed to presumption in the ways of the world, then you must know him through Jesus. And that's our next point. Our ultimate deliverance is found in Jesus. Our greatest point of desperation, our greatest need in our lives and everyone that walks the earth's lives is our sin. Our sin, which separates us from God, and our sin, which carries the wage or the consequence of death and eternal separation from God. The Bible is quite clear that each of us has sinned. And sin is anything we do that turns from God and follows our own ways. And the Bible is clear that the wage, the price, the penalty for our sin is death, and it's separation from God. God is holy. He is perfect. He is without sin, and he cannot be in the presence of sin. So we must be separated from him. The Bible is also clear that we can't work off our sin. We can't do enough good things to make up for the sin in our life. There is nothing we can do to earn our way to God. Or earn our way to God. Just one sin separates us from a holy and perfect God, and it carries the wage or the price of death. We saw this last week. And we saw also last week that in the Passover story, God made a way, and if the people in faith followed him and sacrificed the lamb, then their sins would be forgiven. The consequence had been paid by that lamb. But our hope today is not a lamb, but it is Jesus. 
In Romans 5 eight, Paul tells us, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The hope of the Bible is that while we were still sinners, while we were condemned, while we were without hope and desperate, while we were following our path, doing whatever it is we wanted, God still loved us. God loved you and I so much that he sent Jesus to live the sinless life we could not live and to die the death our sin deserves. So the Bible says there isn't a way out of our desperate sin situation. There isn't a way that out of this situation that has us straight to hell in our own power. But God in his love makes a way, and that way is Jesus. Jesus pays the price, and then he rises victorious over death once and for all three days later. The Bible says that anyone that turns to God and believes that Jesus died the death they deserved, rose victorious over the grave, and makes him Lord, the leader of their life, will be saved. God has made a way in our greatest need of desperation. And if we follow him in faith, then we will experience his grace, his forgiveness, his salvation, and new life in him. So no matter where you are today, no matter what you may be facing, no matter what you may be feeling, know that God loves you. He has made a way forward in your greatest need. And if you don't yet know him as Lord and Savior, then he is waiting for you with open arms. He is waiting for you in his love to turn to him and experience his deliverance. And no matter where you may be, maybe you've got yourself in a bind, he says that if you turn it over to him, he can redeem it. He can use it for his good and our good and his glory. And if you do not know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, in your tough spot, then reflect. If you do know Jesus, your Lord and Savior, in your tough spot, reflect on his salvation. Reflect on your deliverance from sin. And know that if God loved you enough to send Jesus to deliver you from your greatest need, that you can find confidence in the fact that you are loved, you are saved, and he's not done with you yet. Turn to him, walk with him, pray, and seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And know that he can make a way forward. All right, verse 29. Wrap up the story, see our final point. Verse 29 says, But the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians lying dead on the shore. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord, I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. We're not going to read it all, but I love chapter 15. God delivers. The people cross the sea on dry ground. The Egyptians are swallowed up, and the people are free from Egyptian captivity for the first time in generations. And their immediate response is to praise, to worship, and to put their trust in God. And that's such a beautiful picture of how our relationship with God ought to look. And that's our final point today. Deliverance leads to worship in trust. The people experience God's grace. They experience his deliverance. And their immediate response is to trust him and praise and worship his name. In the same way, when we experience God's deliverance from sin through Jesus, it should change our lives and it should result in trust and a lifestyle of worship, a lifestyle surrendered to God. When we are delivered through Jesus, we are no longer a slave to sin. We are no longer condemned. We are free to walk in God's forgiveness. We are deemed righteous and clean. We have received the presence of God through the Holy Spirit, and we experience the promise of eternal life. God has not only delivered partially, but he has delivered us completely. 
And the result of that deliverance should be trust and it should be worship. And it is because of that deliverance that we seek to, to worship God, not just in song, but we seek to worship him with all of our lives. We don't seek to follow God's rules, to share his hope, to love others, and to be kind out of obligation or in an effort to earn brownie points with God. We do all of those things. We worship God with our lives out of gratitude for the deliverance for the life we have been given in Jesus. We have experienced God's grace and his love, so we can't help but desire to share that great news with the world around us. Religion says if you do these things, you can earn your way to God. The Christian faith says God has already done it all through Jesus. We are completely forgiven because of Jesus. And because of that, because of the deliverance we have experienced, we serve him, we live for him, we share his hope because of the new life and deliverance we've already experienced. Deliverance leads to worship and trust. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you look at your life, is it full of worship and trust? Do you serve others, love others, share Jesus' hope with others, follow his instruction, celebrate Jesus by gathering with others? And do you do so with joy and thanksgiving? Or do you do so out of guilt and obligation? You have been set free. You are saved. You are delivered from your sin. Rest in that and allow God's grace to be your motivation to trust and follow him. And for some, maybe that's something you struggle with. And I would just encourage you to revisit the gospel time and time again. To be reminded of your desperation, of your hopelessness, and of the incomprehensible love and grace God has shown you. To be reminded of who you were and who you are now in Jesus. The Bible says, in Jesus, you are forgiven. You are righteous. You are alive. You are called his son or daughter. You are his. You are chosen. You are created and created with purpose. You are beloved. You are God's child. This week, rest in those truths. Surround yourself with those truths. Let that become your identity. Meditate on those truths and allow that truth to lead you to worship and trust. So as Melinda Collins, we want to just spend a few moments reflecting on who God is in this story and who he is in our lives. And so first, maybe you are here today and you feel like the Israelites. You are up against the sea. You are trapped. You don't know where to turn. That's you. I would would just encourage you to to reflect back on uh, uh, chapter 14, verse 13, where it just said to stand firm, to give him your fears and trust him and trust that he will make a way. Whatever that circumstance is for you, seek his guidance. Turn it over to him and trust that he will make a way. And be ready to follow in faith. Or maybe God's calling you to something in faith. He's calling you to take a step of faith this week or this month or this next year. And you don't want to. Trust him. Trust that he will make a way. Trust him and move forward in faith. Maybe you're here and you've never experienced the ultimate deliverance. You know that you are a sinner. You know that your sin has consequences. And today you don't even have the courage to trust God with your life. To trust that Jesus was who he said he was. Trust that Jesus came and lived a sinless life you couldn't live. Trust that he died the death that your sin deserved. And trust that he rose victorious over the grave. If that's you, would you surrender and make him Lord of your life? Would you experience his salvation, his forgiveness, his deliverance today? And lastly, if you're a follower of Jesus, would you allow your deliverance 
Would you allow your identity in Jesus to transform your life to worship and trust? So I'm going to pray for us, and after I pray, Melinda's just going to play for a couple minutes. We're going to bow our heads and reflect. I'm going to pray that God would reveal to us those areas where maybe we're walking in presumption or there's areas where we need to repent and turn to him. And I pray we have the courage and humility to do so. God, we thank you for who you are. God, we thank you that you are a God that can be trusted with every aspect of our lives. God, we thank you that you are a God that delivers. God, we thank you that you are a God that always takes us back. That no matter what we are walking through, no matter where we are, if we will repent and return to you, you will forgive us. You will make a way and you can redeem any circumstance for your glory. God, we thank you that you, got, that you are a God that has transformed our lives, that has changed our identities. God, would you make that real in our lives? Would you help us to see who we are in your eyes? God, would you help us to turn our lives over to you in trust and worship? God, wherever it is that we need to hear your voice, would you speak to us clearly in these next few minutes? And would you give us the courage to turn and trust whatever it is over to you? Because you are worthy of our faith. You are worthy of our trust. And you are our deliverer. To your name we pray. Amen. God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that you can be trusted and you are worthy. God, we thank you that you are our deliverer. God, as we move forward this week, God, I pray that you would help us to trust you with all aspects of our lives, to worship you in our lives, and to follow your ways and who you are. God, we love you, and we praise you. In your name we pray. Amen. Oh, I got a few announcements. You're good. You're good. It's, it's exciting. <laughs> Uh, so just a few announcements. Uh, first of all, if you're new to Living Hope Church, there should be a welcome card uh, somewhere in the vicinity of you. If you wouldn't mind grabbing that and filling it out and placing it in that wood box on the back table, uh, we, would also, uh, we would really appreciate that. That's also where you can place your um, tithes and offerings if you consider this your church home. Um, and then Melody's going to come and give us a couple more announcements. Uh, but we've got like a lot of stuff coming up for the fall that we are excited about. Um, but for all of that stuff to happen, uh, we need help. Uh, and so Melody's going to tell you about some of those different opportunities. Some of you might not know, I coordinate a lot of things, uh, but mainly like getting people involved. So everything that we do is run by you guys, not just us. 
Um, and so if anybody would like to get involved, just so everybody knows, uh, I'm going to make this announcement the next couple weeks, but every three months I make a new schedule for our preschool class, our children's church class, the worship team, um, all of the things that you see us do. Um, I coordinate that. And so what I do is I just reach out to people and say, hey, does anybody want to help? And then people say, yeah, I want to help. I can help this day or this day. So you get to pick the days you help. Most people serve between one to three times over that, so no more than once a month usually. Um, now, some people like to serve more than that, and that's wonderful, but um, I, that's not expected. Um, and I like to help people find the right place for them to serve. So if you don't like kids, we'll find you somewhere else. Um, but if you don't sing, that's totally okay. We need people to hand out bulletins. So if you are not currently serving and you would like to serve in some way, um, two ways you can let me know that you want to do that. One is you can, there's a little welcome card in front of you. Write your name, your phone number, and say either call me, we'll figure it out, or I want to help with this, or I play guitar, get me involved. <laughs> and then I will give you a call and we'll get you involved. Um, we'd love to see some more instruments up here. Um, I make the plan with the team that is up here. Um, every three months we make a plan so you've got time to learn the songs. Uh, we try to keep the songs pretty simple. Um, we'd love to get some more instruments involved. We'd love to get more singers involved. You don't have to commit to every week. Um, I send out a text once a week on Mondays or Tuesdays, depending on how busy my week is, and I say these are the songs we're doing. We practice on Wednesday nights for about 45 minutes to an hour, depending on how hard the song is, I guess, um, and then we sing on Sunday morning. So um, we'd love to have more people join both, the, both of those teams. We also have our youth and children's weeknight programs. It's going to start in a few weeks, um, and those we also need help with. So they're Wednesday night from 6 to 7. Two ways you can help with that. You can come serve, um, which means come be a part of our team. You do have to pass a background check to serve in any of those places, but we'd love to have more people involved. Second way you can help is for the youth group. We do food for them because a lot of them are coming from practices and other things. So if anybody would like to help provide cookies, snacks, and or a meal once a month, once every three months, um, talk to me right on there. Hey, I want to help with food. Um, hey, I like doing these things, and I will be in touch this week. So if you would like to serve at Living Hope, come talk to me. I'll help you find the right place. Is that good? Yeah. And youth and kids will come back kind of mid-September. We're still working on the dates. So. Sounds good. Um, if there's not a welcome card in front of you, you can fill out any piece of paper and throw in that back box. We'll, we'll find a way. Or you can come talk to her. She's not that scary. Um, Thank you so much for being here uh, this week. We hope you have a wonderful week, and we hope to see you here again next week. You are dismissed.